Luke, that was Jesus' first sermon he gives in the Gospel of Luke, and it's a programmatic sermon about his ministry, about how he's here to proclaim good news to the poor, release the captives, help the oppressed go free, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And those, that reading ties really well, I believe, to our sermon focus today. I'm doing a four-week sermon series. This is week two on fulfilling or living into our baptismal vows. Now, first let's start with baptism. So whether you're baptized as an infant or baptized as a teenager, maybe through like confirmation or baptized as an adult, and maybe some folks here haven't been baptized, I'd love to talk to you about baptism. What happens in baptism, what we emphasize as United Methodists is through baptism, you are initiated in the Christ Holy Church you are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit. When you're baptized, we believe you are initiated into Christ's holy church. You are incorporated, you participate in God's mighty acts of salvation and you're given new birth through the gift of water and the power of the Holy Spirit. And all this is given to us without a price from the God who loves us and calls us by name. And when we're baptized as a teenager or an adult, or if you're a child and you're baptized and you confirm your faith later, we always say a profession of faith. And we answer some questions. And as a pastor, I've asked people these questions before. And I was asked these questions years ago when I professed my faith as a teenager. But this has been a good time for me to work through them. I think what happens sometimes is we say these vows, we profess our faith, and then we kind of forget about it because it's not something, it's not on a refrigerator on a magnet, right? It's not sitting there ready for us. And last week we talked about how the first vow we say yes to is to renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness and repent of sin and reject evil powers. Last week the sermon was about repentance and what it means to repent together as a church, what it means to repent individually, and how to turn our lives to Jesus. This week, the focus is the next vow, and the focus, and it's printed in your bulletin, of course. The vow today is that we said when we're baptized, or maybe you will say when you're baptized, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? With that as our backdrop, the sermon text today comes from a letter in the New Testament. It's from the book of Colossians. And letters were written to churches at a time when the church started, they had Old Testament scriptures. They didn't have the gospels, right? They had Old Testament scriptures and they had some hymns, maybe some liturgy they sang and they had letters they read. This letter is from Paul. And when a church would receive a letter, like a small house church, they would take the letter and they would read it out loud so everybody heard it, right? They'd read it over and over again because they did not have what we today call the New Testament. So I invite you to hear God's word this morning. This is from Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6. As you therefore has received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, 
rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a spiritual circumcision, by putting off the body of the flesh in circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him. When he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I'm gonna read this again, church, and you're gonna have a quiz, all right? So I want you to listen when I read this again, because these letters are hard to read, like they're like long run-on sentences. My mom was an English teacher. This kind of stuff drives her mad, right? These are like long run-on sentences, a bunch of commas in scripture because the Greek text was just long run-on sentences. So as I read it again, I want you to focus in and see if you can count for me something. How many times do you hear the phrase in him or with him referring to Christ? I want to know how many times you hear the word in him or with him. Let's try again. As therefore you have received Jesus Christ the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ, for in him, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him. When he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Church, again, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, I ask that you hide me behind your cross so that our focus is on you and not me. And ask that your Holy Spirit works in our hearts and minds today so that by our participation in worship, what we think and say and do reflects more of Jesus. Amen. Okay, quiz time. How many times did you hear those words, with him or in him? Eight. Eight. 
Eight. Early service was split between eight and nine. So y'all have decided it's eight. Thank you so much. If you have questions about it, you can reread it tonight. There's a big, um, it's pretty obvious what the letter is trying to connect, isn't it? There's something about our connection to Christ and our salvation and how we live our lives. There's this explicit connection that we have as people of faith. Where I live now, I live in Holly Springs and I commute to church close to an hour drive. And I live near the nuclear power plant. I live close to Harris Lake nuclear power plant. And when I walk out my house, I can see the steam, you know, coming from the cooling tower. I can see the steam up in the air mixing with the clouds. I'm really close to it, which has a disadvantage because I see the nuclear power plant, but it has a big advantage. Guess what happens when everybody else loses power, <laughs> right? If I lose power, it is out for a very short amount of time. It doesn't last long. Our power goes out. We're the first ones back on in Raleigh, right? Because we're so close to the nuclear power plant. The reason is power is an infrastructure. There's a power plant somewhere, whether it's nuclear power or coal fired or, or um, a solar panel or hydroelectric, right? That generates the power and they have these huge transmission lines that come out with all this power in them. And then the transmission lines feed to smaller lines and goes out and out, right? And substations send this power out. And so when the power is a problem, ours comes on really quick because we're so close to the main line. And the further you are, the, the worse it can be, the longer you can be without power. Where my mom and dad live in North Alabama, they're on the end of the line. They're always the last ones to get their power back. Now we don't think about power until what? We lose it. They were like, oh no, the power's out. What do I do? How, how do I make it? We take sometimes for granted the fact that we have this gift of power. We can plug something in and it works, right? We can unplug it and it doesn't work. We can turn on a light switch and have light. In fact, we're so used to having power, I can get up from my bedroom in the middle of the night, let's say I have to go to the kitchen and have a glass of water. I can walk in the dark and I know exactly where the light switch is. I know where to turn it on, the one in the hall, so I don't wake up, Lisa, but I still can see to get a glass of water. I know where the switch is. There is something that this letter today wants us to remember about the connection we have to Jesus. And thinking about our baptismal vow, the freedom and power God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. We have this connection to this power in our faith in Christ, in him and with him. We have this connection, we know it. We can plug into that, right? Hopefully we're plugged into it the whole time, but if we feel disconnected, we can plug in and experience it. If we're in the dark in life, we know where that switch is. We just go turn it on and we can experience this power and connection we have in Jesus. And as Paul writes, this power for forgiveness, this power to have our lives reflect Jesus, this power to reject personal sin, reject evil, reject oppression, and name things in the world that need to be different so our world is like God wants them to be. It's, it's this power we have if we connect to it. 
And for, for this reading, for Paul, it was so important that we have that connection. And did you hear the words connected to baptism? You heard the words about baptisms too? When you were buried with him in baptism, you were raised with him in faith. There's something about baptism we need to remember that something about us is gone and something new is here. When we're baptized, we say no to the way we understood the world. And we say yes to this new understanding through Jesus. In fact, the old church, when they would baptize somebody, the, the original church would give them a new set of clothes, right? Take off the clothes you had. Here's a new garment to symbolize your life in Christ. And as you heard, Paul always connects the cross and the resurrection. It's important to connect both these stories together. It's like a journey Jesus had. Jesus had a journey of life and teaching, a journey to the cross that led to the tomb. And then he rose from the tomb to new life. We should connect those always. There's power, of course, and our forgiveness comes from Jesus' work on the cross and love for us. And the power also comes from Jesus rose from the tomb and invites us to something new. We die to sin, we rise to life. I have a friend that we have talked about this a little bit. I have a friend who prays, we have this theological discussion. And my friend who prays says, Jesus, you died so we could live. And my argument is that's part of the story. Jesus died, Jesus died and rose so we could live. We leave our sins, we leave them here, we ask for forgiveness, we're forgiven, and then we're invited to rise to something new. They always go together. The cross needs the empty tomb, and the empty tomb needs the cross. They go together in all things. We're invited as God's people to lay down things and then rise up as something new. After worship, my hope and prayer for all of us is we, we lie down, right? We sit down as people who want to be filled with God's grace and mercy through liturgy, right? Through scripture, through music, through solos, through fellowship. And then we rise out of our seats and leave. Hopefully there's something new about us. Some of God's newness and grace and love is just in our hearts and spirits. So there's something new. When I read this, you heard it. In baptism, you were raised to him in faith through the power of God who raised him from the dead. You're made alive together in Jesus who erased this record that stood against us. Jesus disarmed sin and disarmed also the rulers and authorities. Where this letter goes is Jesus disarmed the principalities and powers, the things in the world that aren't right, the injustices of the world, the things that shouldn't be. It's interesting in our vow, it's not limited to personal sin, it's reject evil and also reject evil systems in the world that may not be holy like God wants them to be. It gets complicated. This wasn't going to be in my sermon today but I changed it, um, kind of reflecting on the latest uh, mass shooting that happened, right? We saw that in the news. We grieved with that, what happened. 
It's just a horrible thing that causes hurt and harm for everybody involved. This week, as I was thinking about Sunday, I was driving, and I had this commute back and forth to Holly Springs still, and sometimes I don't listen to any music. I just drive, right, and just process. Um, sometimes I listen to a podcast. Sometimes I make calls if the traffic's not bad to a member. Uh, sometimes I just scan the radio. And this is the day I was just scanning the radio. Does your car have that like scan function? It just goes from one station to the next. And it landed on a song I'd forgotten about. It's a song by, it's an older singer. You may not have heard of him. It's Bruce Hornsby in the range. He had a song that says, that's just the way it is. Some things will never change. Do you know that song? So he goes, that's just the way it is. And then somebody on the piano goes, da 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 Is that right, Elsie? Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's sort of, right, thank you. Thank you for not lying to the church. <laughs> that's just the way it is. It goes, da 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 Some things will never change. You know, that's just the way it is. I wonder, as followers of Jesus, if we sometimes accept things, that's just the way it is. Some things will never change. That's just the way things are. It's never going to change. It could be something about our lives. That's just this habit I have. Some things will never change. It could be about a sin we have in our life. That's just the way it is. Some things will never change. It could be about something in our world that's not how God wants it to be. And we say, that's just the way it is. Some things will never change. But I believe this scripture today and our faith teaches us something different and pushes against that. I think God is always making something new. If, if it's just the way it is, then when Jesus was buried after the cross, he wouldn't have risen from the tomb. If it was just another person to die, or another person died on the cross, that's just the way it is. But that's not who God is. God changed things. Some things change because the tomb was empty and Jesus rose and then Jesus ascended 40 days later. God's always saying something's new. Something new can happen. It's not that's just the way it is. It's God's making something new. I've seen it in this church already. I've seen it in conversations. God's made something new in relationships. God's made something new in job situations. God's made something new in health. God's always making something new. God invites us to make something new in our hearts and lives and not accept some things will never change. I think about it personally, myself. I think about it corporately. I think about it with violence that happens, the violence that Raleigh experienced this week. Part of me says, that's just the way it is. Some things will never change. But I believe the gospel of Jesus in this letter rejects that. And I'm reflecting on this. This is not a political issue, church. This is a theological issue. It's not about politics. It's about theology as God's people who are called to create a new creation. As people who have this power with Jesus. They can plug in the wall. We can accept this power. How do we have conversations about saying this is not how we want the world to be? We don't want situations of mass violence. I don't know what the answer is, but I believe it starts with a theological argument. As followers of Jesus, 
How can the world be more like God wants it to be? How do we think of things in those terms? Because Jesus is bigger than anything else. It's bigger than who we vote for. You know, it's bigger than our ideologies. This faith is what guides us and unites us. I believe as God's people, we say that's not the way it is. I believe we say, or I believe we say, you know, we're with him in baptism. We were raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. We were dead to trespasses in the uncircumcision of our flesh. But God made us alive together with him. God forgave us our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us. He set this aside and nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them. The work of the cross and the tomb triumphed over everything. Through God, it's not some things will never change. It's where is God making something new?